exciting, Jim. But not as we know it. This is big. It is 20 minutes to 1pm on Wednesday the 21st of December 2022 and you are listening to the Bashcast. Coming up in this evening's Bashcast, a look back on my profit-loss record, betting all 64 World Cup games on the exchanges and in shops. A year in review, 2022 betting on the golf. Are we going to give up on the DP World Tour entirely? The PDC World Champions have started, which means Christmas has started. I look at the edges and angles that I'm looking at there, and a concerning shots on target historical betting data set when is a losing run a losing run and when is it synonymous with necessary structural changes all of that and much more coming up on this festive 200th episode of the bashcast this afternoon So the World Cup final was, what was it, a couple of days ago now. So why don't I just title the previous podcast the World Cup of Awarded Penalties. We went out there. We went out. I'll tell you what, I pushed the boat out. Someone said a great phrase I once heard. Life isn't about minimising failures. It's about maximising successes. So I went on a search for an edge in the World Cup. And I thought I had one, and I kind of wrote a little bit of a thesis around the edge, okay? Um, And I went for it. And if you spend your entire life trying to minimise your failures, there's a very, very easy way of doing that, okay? And what you can do is do nothing. Never try anything, never test anything, never stick your neck out, and you'll have zero failures. You'll have no successes, but you'll have zero failures, right? Or the alternative is you could... Try and see what's out there, what you can find. And look, penalties internationally are about uh, once every 33% of the time. So, you know, in uh, decimal odds, maybe 3, 3.05. And Qatar-Ecuador, the very first match, there was a penalty, as was the next match, England-Iran. In fact, there were four penalties in the first five matches because there was one in USA-Wales, one in Argentina-Saudi Arabia. There were five penalties in the first seven matches and there were eight penalties in the first 12 matches. And there were also changes to the length of time that was being played at the beginning of the first half and the second half. So there was more football being played and possibly instructional changes to the referees about how they interpret action in the area. So we went with it. 
we went with the fact that penalties should perhaps be, you know, at 8 out of 12, you're looking at... Um, yeah, doing that in my head. So, uh, Two-thirds there. Why can't I do 8 out of 12 in my head? <laughs> yeah, two-thirds. 66%. 77. So, in, in betting parlance, that would be about 1.5. Uh, and whilst the 3, 3.05 was gone, 2.8, 2.7 was still trading on the exchanges at bookmakers for penalty in-game. So, yeah, we went with it. And, of course, it was just noise. It was just um, random noise. After the Ghana-Portugal game, there were 16 games with just a single... Awarded penalty in Poland, Saudi Arabia. Lewandowski didn't even get it. Um, and then there the frequency came up again. And by the end of the tournament, we were looking at 21 penalties out of 64 games, which incidentally is 32.8% odds of 3.04. So we regressed right back to the mean. I got pretty stung on penalties because I started going pretty big on them after my thesis. Lucky 15s in the shops hitting them in the exchanges and singles, and yeah, um, it didn't serve me particularly well. It wasn't one of my stronger um, angles in the World Cup. It just goes to show you. Either there was no pattern there, which is probably the most likely explanation. Um, it was just a glut that was um, um, a statistical anomaly at the beginning of the tournament. Or there was something there, but either referees were told to sort of correct it, um, or teams adapted one or the other, you know what I mean? So, let's just turn off that thing that's making a b -b 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 noise. You never know what it is. Quit, you. Um, that was one particular angle, but overall, I've got my so I, ha I hit the bookmakers mostly at the shops. Eh, DDHH, really, I didn't have any real other angles in the shops. Apart from the, I mean, coupons, but coupons weren't really the World Cup. The majority of coupons were non-World Cup stuff. Um, and um, I saw something interesting with the coupons, was it? I had two things at the same time. Um, um, somebody emailed in to say um, that, thank you very much for a 7 out of 7 winner. And somebody else emailed in to say that they couldn't catch a winner for love nor money. They didn't doubt the process. They didn't doubt it was profitable. They just... For for a while now, they haven't been able to catch a winner. It's so odd how the coupons have just spread amongst so much content that two two sort of teams can have very different experiences on them. But looking at the exchange, uh, the World Cup, I was m mainly hitting double delight hat trick heaven in the shops, and um, the exchanges. I was on various different markets. So double delight hat trick heaven. Again, that was an interesting one. It was one that petered out. I think in terms of value, um, Fred just locked up after England-France in the quarterfinals and that didn't really offer anything after that. Um, but for all the bets that were pushed from the trap from the Player XG tool, the return on investment was 47%. But... Um, Valencia in the first game who got double delight was like 80% of the profit. Do you know what I mean? So if you missed Valencia in the first game, 
It was uh, it was hard work. In terms of just me, my betting, I was plus thirteen percent. We were on seventeen players in shop. Um, I had uh, my successes included Messi, um, uh, Messi, Messi, and Morata. It was the World Cup of double delight with Messi, who got I think four of the first goal scorers. Um, but yeah, whilst we had um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten games with plus EV players right up to Japan, um, Costa Rica in the group stages. After that, there was very little. I mean, Cameroon, Brazil had five plus EV players in it. I'm not sure how many of those were starting. Um, I think of the thirty-seven, yeah, thirty-seven plus EV bets, six were starting on the bench, um, and the winners were Valencia. Double delight. Messi against Saudi Arabia. Uh, Messi against Mexico. Uh, Marata against Japan. And Messi against Australia. So w- w- just better Messi, basically. That was the uh, that was the way to make money on double delight. Had trick heaven. Um, exchange betting. Uh, I had a bet on every single game. That was on purpose. I wanted to, um, even if I couldn't find a, a line of attack, I wanted to learn. But I generally found something uh using the game center to um to have a look at markets such as winner and both teams to score winner and over 2.5 3.5 I, I did hit penalty to be awarded which wasn't one of my more successful markets win both halves both teams to score and over 2.5 score both halves full-time result odd and odd or even score half-time score half-time score was an interesting one right what was doing with half-time score Halftime score is one of those markets where the closing line is um, probably closest on the game centre to the exchanges, even though we don't hinge to the exchange market at all. Um, and what we do is we take the XG for the game, we distribute it first half, second half, based on a sample size of a quarter of a million historical games, and then we use a Poisson distribution to build up the expected goals for each team in the first half um, to a nil-nil to... Uh, 10-10 I think in the first half is what we go to and come the group stages um, everything tied up but at the knockout stages nil-nil started to deviate away in the markets both in the exchanges and the bookmakers away from the game centre we were maybe getting 2.8 uh, 2.9 for nil-nil at half time you know under 0.5 goals and the exchanges and the markets were sort of suggesting that it was closer to 2.3, 2. 2.4. Um, so they, the exchanges were kind of suggesting, come, this has come the knockout stages, that it wasn't the same distribution. They thought it was way more likely it was going to be nil-nil at half-time come the knockout stages. It was going to be cagey. And we just didn't see that. You know, with the same expectancy in the game, you know, because over 2.5 price for the match was still the same. This is what was confusing me. So why were the markets thinking that nil-nil was more likely at half-time? I didn't think that the markets were right there. Um, and it was quite odd that we deviated in this particular market where we don't normally. But the markets were pushing out. They were saying, this is going to be nil-nil at half-time. Well, look, at around about, what, 2.3, 2. 2.4, nil-nil at half-time. Of the um, 16 games between the last 16 and the final, you would expect somewhere in the region of six to seven games to be nil-nil um, at those odds. So the half-time, price, half-time scores were 2-0, 1-0, 1-0, 2-0, 1-0, 4-0, nil-nil, 2-0, nil-nil, nil-nil, 
1-0, and then we got to the semis and there were just goals in the semis and the third place was 2-1 at halftime and the final was 2-0 at halftime. So we only had two games. Um, uh, we deviated away from the markers and we got that right. I don't know why, but I was very happy with that because that was when I was starting to lay 0-0. So I was laying 0-0 in a lot of the last 16th quarter, semis, third... Um, um, and those were mostly my lay bets of the tournament. Uh, I had exactly 400 bets, uh, 381 backs and 19 lays. Um, didn't hedge anything, so I was letting everything ride. The lays were mostly under 3.0 and mostly at nil-nil, half-time correct score. Um, and then a bit of first-half winner on both teams to score, though that market wasn't particularly tradable and some Asian handicaps plus 2.5 plus 3.5 minus 2.5 so overall in all games I staked uh, an average of £1,647 per game across the 64 games so that's 105000 staked cumulatively across 64 games for a small profit of £6,723 for the tournament didn't really tell the whole um, story I kind of went up to about £6,000 profit after about 25% of the games early in the group stages, Brazil, Serbia, so I could have just stopped then, but went on a massive losing run where everything just lost all the way towards the end of the group stages. Um, just lose, 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 all the way up to Croatia, Belgium, Japan, Spain, and then went on a huge heater through the very end of the group stages and the beginning of the knockout runs up to, so went from minus 4,000 at my lowest to, um, I mean, what was it exactly? Um, minus 4,254 was my lowest. Um, but very soon after that, I was Portugal, Uruguay. Went on the heater where everything was just winning. Just absolutely everything, including some, some of the best games for me. South Korea, Portugal, um, Cameroon, Brazil, Argentina, Australia, uh, France, Poland. Sort of these um, early knockout games. And my peak... You know, why didn't you leave the table when you had the most amount of money? You idiot for even asking it. My peak was 13 grand, 12,799. And then that was my peak at Brazil, South Korea. And then sort of lost half of that between uh, that match coming through to the quarters, semis and the final. But finished on £6,723. So I was pleased enough with that. I mean, look, I, I, was, I, I was better on 64 matches. I, easy, I very easily could have been betting on... So plus EV propositions and been down after 64 matches, but it was okay to be up. Just generally, because, I mean, a lot of the times I was placing these bets on the exchanges, maybe about 10%, 8%, 10% over what I thought the fair odds were. Sometimes the price was there, a lot of the times it wasn't, and the difficulty with trying to trade the price is that you don't want it to be matched as a result of a drift or a steam that naturally happens because then you just get matched because you've got a bad price sitting there. You want it to get matched just because some layer somewhere is taking a bad price. Like that's how we're getting an edge there, isn't it? Um, uh, yeah, it was all right. Um, a lot of the first goal scorer was quite um, was quite decent. I was finding that I think a lot of the headline players, the Canes, the Ronaldos. Neymar's, the out-and-out -out strikers that are household names, they tended to be a little bit sh um, short on the exchange for my liking. I thought that the fair odds of these guys were a bit higher. 
So when it came down to tracking Double Delight Hattrick Heaven, we were a little bit pessimistic. We had fewer players than perhaps the exchange would have suggested. So we added in something into the player XG model. You can toggle from the bookie bashing first goal scorer calculation, which, you know, is, you know, the expected goals for the player divided by the match XG with a bit of nil-nil added in. So um, you can toggle from that to the Betfair first goal scorer calculation, if you prefer. Uh, in terms of ROI tracking, and one gets pushed to the, to the trackers. Um, the automated stuff is the bookie bashing first goal scorer calculation, but you can push if you want to via the bet builder, the bet fair first goal scorer DDHH fair odds and see if, you know, just just monitoring players against bet fair will be plus EV if you prefer to go down that route. I genuinely think that there is an angle for a lot of players. I mean, a lot of the time there's a spot on, and I quite like that. Spot on, right? Between the back and the lay. A lot of the times I made... The midfielders, the defenders, the 10 to 66 to 1 guys, or even higher, value. In fact, I was on a lot of them. I was on a lot of the guys at 60, 65, 70. Gosh, I think I had a, a handful of second goal scorers at 65 and higher. Um, and I make a lot of the favourites bad prices. Um, occasionally I made them good prices. Actually made Messi 101% in the final. I wasn't on him, so I'm not after timing there, but the the tracker did. So we're going to start monitoring, automatically monitoring every exchange plus EV first goal scorer price that comes through the player XG so that we can build up 1,000, 2,000 um, uh, data points on that. Um, and yeah, as, as mentioned, if you want to use Betfair instead of Bucky Bashing, you can load it up on the Bet Builder and save it to private trackers. But um, also I think it's quite a reasonable decent uh, opportunity for value on the exchanges. I mean, look, just have a look at how swingy these graphs are, even after team news. I mean, once team news has been announced, we've got the formation, we know who's playing. The expected goals per player by the shops and the syndications is pretty much nailed on. And so there shouldn't really be these big swings after team news of, you know, first goal scorer price. And yet you see it, you still see it. So somebody there is getting a good price and somebody is getting a bad price. And it's all about knowing exactly where the line is, where the benchmark is. Um, so first goal scorer was okay. It started well with Jude Bellingham. I mean, it was a little bit like the same of the rest of the World Cup. If I'd sort of finished it early on, I would have, it would have been a bit better. And penalty to be awarded. Although it did come back. I did persevere with penalty to be awarded. And, um, you know, we got a couple in the final. We got one in Argentina, Croatia, England, France, Netherlands, Argentina, Brazil, South Korea, and Argentina, Australia. And, sorry, France, Poland was the last one in the um, last 16 and later. So they did come back. I mean, last 16 or later is 16 matches, and there were seven penalties in the last 16 matches. So, essentially, basically, they disappeared for the period of time between after I made a thesis about it and everyone gave up on them. That's when they disappeared. <laughs> Get the violins out. Um, not the easiest to profit on the exchanges, I think. Um, just mainly because... Well, if you, if you were to rank... If you were to rank how easy it is to profit from various sources. Of course, you've got online soft bookmakers as number one with all the your odds and all the different things that are available to people. After that, it is the shops. And then after the shops, 
the very is the exchanges which is the hardest um because you know if something if something's 140 150% online it's probably 120 130% in shops or something and then you don't find anything generally that's 140% value on the exchanges if you if you do you're not going to get a lot matched on it i mean that was one of the, one of the more annoying things is letting things try and trade on the exchanges and then you find that i mean here what 62 pence went on something in england versus senegal i don't even know what that was but um yeah although it lost so maybe i should be happy about that <laughs> um i could do another winter world cup though as well i reckon that's quite good to keep the um the the evenings at bay coming up to christmas uh, i'm loading I had a thing now, every time I had a decent win, I was sort of skimming a little bit of the profits off it to load up on Newcastle to win the Premiership. Why am I doing that? It is 100% not just because I'm a Newcastle fan. 100%, how dare you? Uh, it is, well, it is quite a lot to do with that, actually, because it's FOMO. <laughs> because if Newcastle win the Premiership and I'm not lumped on them, I'll never, li I'll never live with myself. So um, I've got an average of 44, and they're down at 34. So that's a win. Although I was on a couple of games before the the, the World Cup started when they went on their winning run. Um, where's the EPL prep table? Um, but get this right. Here's the run of fixtures coming up. So away at Leicester, Leicester in 13th, uh, home at Leeds. Leeds are in 15th. So there's six points off the bat on Boxing Day and New Year's Eve. And then if we pick up six points, if, if Man City don't pick up six points, if they lose a match um, either against... Well, they're playing Liverpool. Oh, no, that's in the EFL Cup. They're playing Leeds and Everton. So if they lose one of those two matches, Newcastle goes second. We've got a top of the table clash between Arsenal and Newcastle on Tuesday the 3rd of January that could be a nine pointer look okay I'm absolutely and utterly clutching at straws for justifying why I am loaded up on Newcastle I'm just saying come Tuesday the 3rd of January at 7.45 when Newcastle play Arsenal if they win that match they're not going to be 34 anymore Newcastle United to win the Premiership Value bet, even if I can't prove it in mathematics, it's a value bet from the soul. You heard it here first, the morning of Tuesday the 20th of December 2022. I don't the DP World Tour events, only the PGA. Performance on the P DP World Tour has been abysmal. The data isn't there, the confidence isn't there, and that's why it's not profitable. So that was a statement from somebody in uh, the latter period of 2022, the autumn period of 2022, relating to the golf tracker. So... Um, um, it's. I always find it very interesting to hear perspectives, um, and I I understand this perspective. Um, does I don't this person I don't touch the DP World Tour events performance on the DP 
world tour has been abysmal. The data isn't there. The confidence isn't there. So um, let's start with the easy stuff. And because um, I always think, is he? Wouldn't life just be easier as a as a professional gambler if you existed as an Excel spreadsheet that just looked back at a period of time and you w- removed all of the the emotion, the nuances, the week in, the week out, the missed putts, the made putts, the playoffs. If you just removed all of that, the second places, the first places, and you look back at a year in review, um, it, it sort of makes it a, a clearer picture. The DP world of tour events, of which we sort of combine three, the... DP, the Asian, and live into the same sort of bracket here. In 2022, 47 tournaments, 353 bets. Um, which is, incidentally, equivalent to 7.5 bets per tournament, which stands up mostly. You know, I tried to aim for eight, but... So 7.5 golfers per tournament, six winners... Now, compare that to the PGA. 49 tournaments, 377 bets, 11 winners. Um, However, still with that six winners, if you had a £1,000 bankroll with the staking methodology that we propose, Boogie Bashing, which is a form of Kelly, it would be 5,136 staked for £1,450 profit at a 28.24% ROI. Now... That's quite good. I mean, to start the year with a thousand pounds in your bank and to finish the year if you just bet on the DP World Tour with two thousand four hundred and fifty pounds in your bank, um, it seems odd that that's the performance of a model where someone had the experience where they said performance has been abysmal. The data's not there. The confidence it's not there, and that's why it's not profitable. Not why it may not be profitable. It's, their statement is, it's why it's not profitable. You know, there's a lot of, I think, Twitter tipsters out there, uh, unregulated people, that maybe would love to start the year with £1,000 and finish with 2450 I don't think crypto, Bitcoin, Ethereum returned that. I don't think any savings account returned that. So why is there this disconnect between the performance and the perception well i loaded the dp world into a chart um uh, somewhere and we had a very very strong start through january and february and then it was lose 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 all the way to the summer then a winner, but that winner, we just started, we lost all of that again. Lose, 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 all the way to the end of the summer holidays, to the beginning of autumn. And then we had a winner, but it was then lose, 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 and we lost all of that. And so actually by almost 80% of the year, we weren't down, but we had made... Oh, yeah, we were down 90p on a £1,000 bankroll. After how, how many? After 249 of the 104 bets of the year. Oh, and then we went down again. So 
Yeah, right. And after 331 of the 353 bets of the year, we were down £16.10. And then we just went on that incredible run at the end. The incredible run at the end was we spoke last time about Svensson winning. Um, we, he was high EV, so he returned really, really decent profits there. But after Svensson, who was PGA, incidentally, we hit Adrian Moronk in the Australian Open. I was at a Christmas cottage during that, and that was quite fun because I woke up in the morning. That was over by the time I woke up in the morning to have my coffee and check the results. And um, um, there was healthy-looking exchange balance um, and also was on him in the shops. And then... Um, Alfred Dunhill Championship, 175-1. to 1. I quite enjoyed this tournament because um, we went for eight players, but six of the eight were above 50-1. to Oki Striden was 175-1 to 1 and 128% EV, which meant pretty much max stakes. Again, in the Mauritius Open, we went for eight players, but seven were over 66-1 to 1 and yet had three places, right? That's, that's all right. You know what I mean? Well, one was a place dead heat. One out of two, because that was Ricardo Gueva was seven places and he finished tied seventh with one other. But, I mean, to, to go for four above 125 to one, seven above 66 to one in three places, it's sort of like, that's as good as a win. That, that was almost as better than the win for me, because it, it, what you can see a lot of the times when you have a bust week, is that if you're getting seven out of eight players making the cut and they're all above 50 to one, that's all you can ask for week after week. The fact that some players are winning is actually skewing the performance because they could easily come second. What you, what you care about is that your guys are up there. If you have eight players and all eight finish in the top 20 and none place, you should be delighted. In fact, you should be more delighted than if seven miss the cut and one goes on to win. Because that you got lucky. You know what I mean? And we almost got a little bit lucky with Oki Strider. Okay, he won it comfortably, but he was the only person up there in contention. Whitnell fell apart in the last round. Um, uh, a, f a few guys, Lombard... You know, he was 40 to 1, he missed the cut. Walters missed the cut. So the rest of the guys didn't perform well. Whereas in the Mauritius Open, absolutely smashed that tournament. Everybody was in on it. Forstrom placed 125 to 1. Garcia Heredia, uh, second place, 80 to 1. Uh, Gueva, 66 to 1. Um, Nicholas Norgard Mahler, just outside of the places. Um, so that's, that's what you want. You want those guys up there. Anyway. It's easy to look back on the urine review. It doesn't paint the picture. And I, I appreciate the frustration with people that um, think that the DP didn't perform profitably. It did. It was 28%. I mean, the PGA was crazy. 49 tournaments, 377 bets. Um, again, that's going to be very close to eight per tournament, 7.69. 11 winners. Um, if you started the year with £1,000 and just bet on the PGA, you'd have bet 6,284 cumulatively. You'd now have £4,628.50 at the end of the year for a 57% ROI. The overall golf in 
2022 was 44.5% ROI with 17 winners. Start the year with £1,000, you now have 6078 That's strong, right? Compare that to last year, 25% ROI. Compare that to year before, 8% ROI. 2023 could easily be 5% ROI. It could. It could be minus 5% ROI. I'm waiting for the time where it is minus 5% ROI over a year because what I've got to do then is go through a process of explaining to people why there haven't been structural changes, meaning that it's no longer profitable, because it's not that. The fact that we were we're as likely to make 45% in a year as we are to make minus 5%. 45% is on the higher ebb. It's running above expectation. Expectation is about 26, 27%, right? So 45% would just... The, 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 the math, it's fun, it's nice to be on a heater. The mathematics suggest that we're running hot and it won't continue forever. Uh, although we said it won't continue before Rocky Schreider and then it did, but it won't continue at 45% forever. And it may be 5% next year. It may be minus 5% next year. Um, if you can go through a year at minus 5% and continue, then you, you prove what you're made of. You prove that you understand the mathics, the mathematics. How many people out of 100, let's say 100 people follow the golf tracker. How many people out of 100 do you think will continue after one year? I, I know there is someone on the forum who posted a two-year losing run, although I can't say if he was betting 15% of every tournament. When I talk about, you know, that it's as likely to make 45% as it is to make minus 5%, I'm talking about 15% per tournament, an average of 115% EV. Those are the simulations that we ran on that. So... Strap in. Um, I'm happy. I'm very happy to see a fourth consecutive year of profit. Fifty-eight percent in two thousand and nineteen. Nine percent in twenty twenty. Twenty-five percent in twenty twenty-one. Forty-four percent in twenty twenty-two. Twenty twenty-two, the strangest year. The year of hitting it really early in um, uh, January, uh, February. Really, really successful months. Um, a, a bit of the early of March, and then from March all the way through to the end of September, it was break even, and then smash the end of the year. So six, seven months of break even in this year with two tails on either side. But um, yeah, it's strong. We're going to be bringing in in 2023 um, tee off times. That's something I've noticed. I don't know if you noticed that. Do you ever get on a load of players and then star them in the leaderboard and you realise that seven out of eight of them are starting in the same wave, be it morning or afternoon? I don't think there's a coincidence there. I think there is correlation between syndicated and smart money making certain players um, plus EV um, because they're, they have a favourable uh, wave tee-off time. So we're just going to filter by that for anyone that's keeping an eye on the um, on the on which wave is more favourable. Um, but it's certainly a pattern that I've noticed. And then I'll be continuing with uh, three different angles. It will be each way betting in shops, 
It will be... I know Betfred have deviated on places and prices recently, but I think that's because a lot of these DP World Tour tournaments have been slightly more minor. They've had a lot of Sunshine Tour players down in South Africa. They've had a lot of Asian Tour players over in Australia. So I think Fred will go back to matching uh, online places and terms. Um, I wish Odds Checker would get bleeding boils correct because um, we get the places and the terms from boils. Um, the way that the track is set up, it, it's it got this little bug in it that if it scrapes boils and then boils is wrong, we can go in and manually change it, but then it will scrape the boils place again and it will correct to that. And so we end up just turning boils off. It is incredibly frustrating because we've lost enough bookmakers recently with Sport Nation, Red Zone, can't put 10 bet up. You know, when we put the graph together, there was um, some chap um, that I'd never heard of come through the Sunshine Tour last week, um, who was the strongest in terms of driving accuracy in terms of scrambling and putts per round, uh, but couldn't include him because um, he was only good at Betfred and 10 bet. Now, if you've got a Betfred, sorry, it was Skype. Oh, yeah, it was Betfred. So if you've got a Betfred access to you, you can have him. But I have to put up someone that's a, a minimum of three places. And this comes also comes down to um, some people have been saying that they've been getting restricted on golf. And I drill into them and they say that they copy the weekly golf options every single week. Don't do that for two reasons. One, I am constrained. I have a more difficult time putting together the weekly golf options than you do. I'm using exactly the same tools as you. I use the tracker for exchange betting, for each way betting, and for DraftKings. And I merge the tracker with the graph. And I do outright and first round leader, especially with the high odds guys over 100 to 1 uh, on the exchange. And, I, and when I put these weekly golf options together, those are mostly the guys I'm hitting both um, each way, exchange, and DraftKings. They're the guys that I've identified, but I am constrained in that I have to cap them at about eight, sometimes 10 players. I can't have 20, even though the EV of 20 players at 100 to 1 would be, which would be, by the way, um, uh, well, if I had 20 players at 200 to 1, it would be 10% of the field. And I would, the EV would almost certainly be higher than me mixing up these guys at 20 to 1, 40 to 1, or 60 to 1 in terms of field coverage. But I can't put 20 players up. So I'm constrained by the number of players that I put up, which you're not. And I'm constrained by having players that are only good at three or more bookmakers, which you're not. You can have players that are good at one, like this chap who was the highest on the graph, although he got injured in the second round. So he was 500 to 1, but he, 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 he didn't complete the tournament. But you, you can't account for that because... Nobody would have known about his injury pre-tournament. Um, I think the people that are getting restricted are just on the weekly golf options. And what happens then is that you have 200 people that are on exactly the same golfers week in, week out, exactly the same bookmakers. So the bookmakers turn around and they say, right, these people are all part of the same syndicate. They're profitable. We're just going to ban them. Um, and... I just think that if I was you, I wouldn't be copying the week golf weekly golf options. I would be, I would be going to the tracker, and I would be coming up with my own golfers at the time that suited me. Uh, you know, because things at three p.m. Wednesday it may be different to one p.m. Wednesday when I do it. At uh, the bookmakers that suited me, at the prices that suited me, at the volume of players that suited me, 
at the count that suited me. You know what I mean? And all these things would be different to what I, what I personally do in the week golf options. And actually, because you've got more freedom to roam, there's no reason why you shouldn't have a higher ROI than I do. So it's just my advice. I, sometimes a lot of people say, I don't have time. And so it's just easy to copy them. But, and I understand that a little bit, but I don't want you to get restricted. I don't want everyone to get restricted. That doesn't so, That doesn't serve us any benefit. And I want you to maximise the um, expectation and the performance of the tracker and the graph for yourself. Uh, we did talk behind the scenes about perhaps removing the um, weekly golf options or perhaps putting them up at the, you know, five minutes after the first tee of the first tournament in the week. Um, but that might annoy people who are used to it. But um, yeah, that's all I'm saying. The, the, the weekly golf options are lifted from the tracker. Uh, use the tracker instead. I don't have access to any magical tools that anyone else doesn't that has a Bookie Bashing subscription. Go out there. Are we going to get 45% next year? Wouldn't be amazing if we did. Are we going to get minus 5% next year? It's very possible. It's going to be fun to find out. We've got a two-week break now. We'll be back in January. That's golf. 2023. 2022. Smashed it. PDC World Championships at the Ali Pali, which means Christmas has started. At least it has for me this year. Uh, we're on Josh Rock outright for no other reason than that would be a hell of a storyline. Um, that was the fun outright stuff. So I thought I might go through, today's like the Tuesday. It's the first day that there isn't two sessions in the single day. I thought I might go through just how I'm sort of targeting a few things at the darts to see if that's helpful. I know a lot of people actually. I'm so I was surprised by the amount of feedback I had from people who said that they um, load up the 180s tool and send a load of private bets to do with 180s into private trackers and then go and smash them in the shops. Um, that makes me think actually. I should, we should get the total 180s available in the bet builder, shouldn't we? I'll make a note of that. Total 180s, but. I really enjoy watching the darts. My daughter enjoys Fallon Sherrick, who's playing Ricky Evans tonight. Although she's difficult to bet on because she always outperforms. Like she plays at a certain level and then she plays in the World Championship and she massively overperforms, which she usually does. Which kind of says suggests overs in the 180s might be the way to do it. But looking at the four games that there are today. So with the 180s... I'm really looking at most 180s in the game, total 180s per player, um, most 180s in the session. It's the sort of three things that I'm focusing on. Look at the amount traded on markets between the four matches today. Raymond van Barnevelt versus Ryan Makeley is the big one tonight with 9,044 traded. But the first match, Jim Williams versus Sebastian Bielecki. Bielecki? Bielecki. Um, who is this... Polish opponent currently ranked one millionth in the year um, in the world. It's like that's got £354 traded. So it's a lot more... Well, the markets are less efficient. That means that there's more opportunity, but also less likely that you're going to get everything matched. 
So I've loaded up Jim Williams and Sebastian Bielecki. I'm trying to have some, like the World Cup, I'm trying to have something on every single game. But um, sometimes it's, sometimes they just don't get matched. Sometimes it's not value. Most 180s in, I'm looking at the wrong match here. Let's go to Jim Williams versus Bielecki. Most 180s, we have Jim Williams at 1.67 and Sebastian Bielecki at 3.98. Now, something that's quite useful to do is just to compare that against odds checker. First of all, if there's value at the bookmakers, then there often can be value at the exchanges. The two things are go hand in hand, right? And if there's none of the bookmakers, perhaps it's difficult, although I did clean up last night on this um, Gates most 180s, which got snaffled at 5.8. I think on the exchanges, I think 92 was the best that I could find online. So I don't know who was taking me at 92, but I was very happy with that. So first, off the bat, we've got 1.7 at Coral most 180s, uh, and we are 1.67. So 1.7 might go. I mean, that's pretty thin. I'm going to go up at 1.7... Eight. Last match was 1.6, but you can now back at 1.63, but it's 15 available. So I'm going to put a couple hundred in there just to get going, just to see what happens. See if it gets taken. And on the other side, Bielecki, um, top price for this chap is 3.6. We make him uh, 398 um, technically there is a lay of 3.7 on the exchange, which could be a value lay, but I'm just not going to play that. So I'm going to ignore the Bielecki side of things, and I'm going to focus on seeing if I can get Jim Williams to go at 1.78. In terms of over-under, the market's line set at 5.5. Uh, over 5 would be 1.68. And our tool, the last match was 2.52 on the under, so 1.68 on the over sounds about right. I wonder if I can get 1.8, I don't know, 5? Yeah, it's a couple hundred of that, see if that goes. Um, and then you've got Jim Williams under and over and Sebastian Bielecki under and over. Nothing matched, nothing available on it either. So these are pretty super thin. So I'm just going to seed these. But when I seed them, when, they're, when the, the, there's zero sitting in the market, I make sure that, you know... I'm I'm I've got a comfortable margin. So over three, we make one point nine eight. So I mean, I'm going to go up at two point five, like massive, right? Uh, and that probably won't go, but if it does, at least I'm, I'm I, I comfortably know. Um, so I'm the first person into that market, and the same with Bielecki. Um, he's at over two point five is his line. We make that two point one three. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to go up at two point five. You never know. I mean, odds are on. Those won't get matched. But if they do, then booyah to me, right? You know what I mean? And then the final thing, we have a handicaps here. Um, and that is a little bit liquid. So let's go over to the bet builder. We've been bringing in the PDC World Championships into the bet builder, getting the handicaps lines um, worked into that. So let's go advanced calculations, handicaps, PDC World Champs, Jim Williams versus Bielecki. Now we've got Jim Williams minus 1.5. We make it 2.06, uh, and the gap's 1.9 to 2.2. So that's safe to play at 2.18. So let's put a little bit of money in at 2.18. And the same on the other side for 
Bielecki, 1.94, it's 1.83 to back, 2.1 to lay. So I'm just going to go a smidge under the, the 2.1. I'm going to go in at 2.08 and be a cheeky little leapfrogger. Eat my leapfrog in. So we'll see if any of that goes. So I put in, you know, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 bets there. Uh, this being a match where £234 has been traded, there's every chance I'm going to get to this evening. I'm not going to expect the lines to move. Nothing may have gone. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, I'm a little bit more comfortable with um, the... Raymond Vanny Barney Valdi match, although they haven't put up the player 180s in this yet. I wonder why. Why do they leave it so long? Um, whilst I'm in the bet builder, let's have a look at what he is. RV Bibbles. What are you, RV Bibbles, for minus 1.5? RV Bibbles is 2.16. So again, we're just going to hop in at 2.26. Nothing wrong with that price. And again, Makely with the other side of the line. Have a shade over evens, but most 180s is more important. I think that one looks tidy, a little bit efficient for Van Bibbles. He's 2.2 to back, 2.3 to lay. I make him, please don't be in the middle. He is in the middle. I make him 2.25. There's nothing to be had then. 2.2 to back, 2.3 to lay. I make him 2.25. How do I play that? I don't. Um, I might play Makely though, I make him 2.35 and he's got a back of 2.2 and a lay of 2.54 so 2.52 could be mine. We'll take Makely. And the last thing we'll do in this match, over under 7, 180s, 2.14. 2.46 is the lay, I don't think that's going to be touched. I'm going to go in at 2.34, see if that goes. I mean, it's a bit of a scattergun approach. A lot of these will be unmatched. Some of these will be matched. We'll see what happens. Uh, come back to it later this evening because it is only 9.30 in the morning and these, this is an evening session this evening. Um, the, other, the other way of doing it, if you've got the soft bookmakers, I mean, William Hill and Pat, Betfred match their lines in shop. So if you see anything, a player to have the most 180s in the session, that's the market where we can sometimes see 140, 100% you know, EV bets. Not all the time, not every session, sometimes we see nothing. You know what I mean? But it is a market that certainly there seems to be a lot of um, uh, breadth of opinion between the bookmakers' models and their inputs. And we can often see something at those two. Those are the two that match online in shops. At least I can get on them. Um, but, you know, there's often a little bit at Bet365. Um, Coral and Ladbrooks often have pretty decent EV in their session lines. Player to have the most 180s. And match to have the most 180s as well. So, um, um, and yeah, my daughter's favourite sportsman, Fallon Sherrick, is throwing tonight. So, should be great fun. Look forward to that match. Um, I think with all gambling, you have winning and you have losing, and it's easy to focus on the winning. But it's important, it's in fact possibly more important to focus on the losing and talk about the losing and I'm conscious I don't know well in this bash cast we've got golf we've got 
World Cup, both of which were pretty good for me. So let's have a look at something that was losing. Um, uh, this is shots on target. Someone sent in a shots on target um, uh, betting history. Um, uh, and this is betting on the exchange. This is 449 shots on target bets. Um, and um, a mixture of one plus, two plus, three plus shots on target on the exchange after team news. So everyone that's starting um, with a minimum of 10% um, EV. And this data sets about £60,000 down. And they've run some simulations and come to a conclusion. Um, uh, the conclusion says it's almost certain, given the simulations, that the BB bookie bashing fair odds are far too optimistic. Uh, my results far fall far outside the worst possible results of any simulation I could come up with. So he did 247 simulations and um, um, the worst simulation of the 247 was still better than the outcome um, um, that this chap had in terms of his returns. Um, I would anecdotally point out I was a large loser on these bets for many months before the sample size. Um, my results fall into the bottom percent of bad luck, even assuming the bets are neutral. So um, assuming they're not 10%, assuming they're neutral. So given all of this, um, w combined with the anecdotal results from earlier periods and discussions from other un uh, members, it is a strong likelihood that um, backing all shots on target bets advertised on bookie bashing is a losing strategy. Um, that's the likelihood. So um, we went through this and we had a look at it. Um, it's a difficult data set to go through because of the 449, the first thing is that there are many players with sort of multiple. So it's like... Um, you know, you would have Kane 1+, plus, Kane 2+, plus, and Kane 3+, plus in the same match. So, of course, if he gets none, all three lose. And then if you have the same match as well. So, um, let's say you've got uh, Rashford, and you've got Ronaldo, and you've got Fernandez, um, and then Maguire ends up getting all of the shots in that game, then that has an effect. So, there is a sort of element where perhaps we would consider... Um, data points as being a match as opposed to being an individual player. Um, the, so how do we come up with shots and target bets? One of the conclusions of this is that we are far too optimistic um, on the shots and target. Now here's the first thing, okay? We have an under and over line that we take from both Bet365 and Unibet. Now, sometimes they can disagree and there is a Dutch available. That does mean that there is value at one of those places. We don't know which one, but there is definitely value at one source when there is a Dutch available. Uh, then we have the under and the over, and there might be 7 to 10% over round. Okay, so you got 100% would be the fair odds, when you apply 7 to 10% over round, you might apply 3.5% on the over, 3.5% on the under. 
um, and reduce the odds by that much, and that's the profit margin by the bookmaker. Or you perhaps there's 7% on the over and 0% on the under, or perhaps there's 7% on the under and 0% on the over. So the subjective reasoning comes into what bias there is over the under and the over. One of two things is true. Either there's value on one of those lines, so the bookmaker is purposefully offering value on one side, okay? Now, you might believe that's true. Perhaps betting on the unders is always value because everybody always bets on the overs, perhaps, okay? Or perhaps the line, they've got the line correct and they're not offering any value on either side and they're applying some margin and there's some bias in the margin. On the shots and target tool, you can apply the margin, the bias to all on the under, on all on the over, or 50-50, or any percentage between zero and 100% to do that. In order to do that, open up the tool, and um, there's a little banner on the green, at the top, which is green, and it says um, info options and optimism. You can click that, and you can pull the shots on target from the under to the over, okay? You can also use an average of 365 in Unibet or the most pessimistic of 365 in Unibet. So those are two options that you have um, in that slider as well. Um, the case for the shots on targets lines being wrong, well, the maths are that they have to come from one of those, from within that range, or there's value at the bookmaker, right? Uh, but the assertion here is that there is value at the bookmaker and betting the unders would always have been value on these bets. And we can do a little test to see um, to see how true that might be. So what I did is I took the back odds, uh, all of which were about 110% or higher. And I just multiplied them all by 1.5. And so now, you know, instead of um, a better evens, it's a better 2 to 1, 3.0. Right? So this chap would have a 2 1.9 value bet. It's now a 3 1.9 value bet. Okay, sending the EV through the roof. What's the outcome of that? He's still negative. He's still lost so much, so frequently, that in his sample size, the data can't get him into profit. So are you telling me that when 1.9 is trading on the... Um, 3.0 is trading on the exchange and we're making a 1.9? I mean... There must be the most unbelievable arbitrage opportunity there, um, if that is the case. I mean, you would be getting, you know, uh, three um, uh, three on the bookmaker, one uh, well, three at the exchange, 1.9 on the bookmaker. Uh, and if it's the unders, you would be able to turn that into a big arbitrage opportunity. Um, and he's still negative. The, his conclusion is that uh, it's beyond bad luck and that it's wrong. Um, and my argument back to that is that if you're in a situation where you cannot be winning no matter how much you pump the back odds up, then when would it be good? Um, there's a lot of interrelated matches in there. I think the data set is 100 and. 100 to 150, it's quite difficult to tell how many unique games in there. Having said that, the shots on target that are boosted are, are running to a negative on uh, the results on the site, I think. 
Uh, I think they were running for, to a negative for a couple of years. They might have just pulled into like half a percent profit or something just now, compared to like the ten percent profit that the EV would suggest. They are still running way under expectation. Um, and anecdotally, a lot of users say they're losing. Although um, I do wonder if it's because the headline boosts are losing, um, and so these. These are the big ones. These are the big 140, 150, 160% EV bets um, available at the exchange. And so they they have high visibility. And them losing makes it feel like overall things are losing. What can I do? Well, if I want to start, I'm not. we're not going to go down the line of estimating shots on target ourselves. I think the ethos of bookie bashing is that's too hard. You have these services, Ableson, um, the in-house teams at Bet365, these services that spend multi-million pound models, we're not going to pretend that we're going to try and beat them for a 99 pound a month subscription at Bucky Bashing. One of the things we in, we've, in, we've, we've put in place, by the way, is um, um, we've had a few people cancel recently. I, w- I wondered if it was um, to do with either the performance of the horse racing tracker or restrictions. I mean, something with restrictions. There's a bloody fellow who is um, scraping the horse racing tracker and reselling a bot on Telegram that will log on to any Bet365 account and place the bookie bashing horses on your Bet365 account. What anecdotally have we heard as well? We've heard that Bet365 are tightening up and people betting on Bet3- on the bookie bashing plus EV horses. There will be a direct relationship between this guy, what he's doing, and we know who it is, and we know where he lives, what he's doing, and the value that is available for everybody else on the site. Um, a lot of people are saying that they don't bet on horses anymore at Bet365 because of the issues of restrictions. Somebody said, though, the value is in um, placing multiples on the early payout tracker, fourfolds, fivefolds, and getting the the bonus there is a 10% bonus for a fourfold or a fivefold using the early payout tracker just for accumulators. Obviously not laying these, a lot of people that do the two up, they lay these bets, but if you can actually put them into multiples, there's a lot of value to be had, I've heard. I haven't got a bet 365 and haven't for a lot of time, but I've heard that the guys out there, this is what they're hitting. Accumulators for on using the early payout tracker. I'd actually quite like to get the EV built in Anyway, so going back, what can we do? Are we going to, to to suddenly suggest that the bookmakers are offering value on one side? I don't think they are. I genuinely don't think they are. Do you think there's bias? Well, we've got a customizable slider. Can I explain the results? Well, maybe 100 to 150 matches isn't a large enough data set by a factor of six. But then you get tired of just hearing about people losing. At some point, you can't defend it anymore. So do we turn it off? I always thought if we turned off the shots on target tool, we'd lose zero people because it's not a a huge tool. It was something that we used casually in the background just for a few hand calculations, just for some assistance, and we made public. And I've wanted to pull it a number of times because it's the one thing where the performance on the shots at target tool is way under seemingly any other tool or tracker at bookie bashing. It seems like everything else is profitable other than this one thing. But I'd rather just make it profitable. 
Um, so one thing that we're implementing is um, much higher rates of results tracking. So I've asked for all of the exchange data. The problem that we had with the exchange data before is it had to be me that manually went and downloaded it just before a game started. And that meant that I had to be by a computer right before a game started every single time. Um, and that was a lot of, it was just too much for me. So we're going to automate that process and we're going to download both the bookie bashing data and the exchange data. And we're going to measure it not across 100, 150 matches, but we're going to measure it across a thousand matches on the exchange and then make those results available. And if they're in profit, we're going to state that. And if they're running at a loss, we're going to state that as well. So it's going to be formalized. The, pro the problem with me downloading it from the, which is the stuff that's on the site just now, is that if ever I went out for dinner, I'd be missing a data set. And then you could accuse, perhaps wrongly, but you could accuse, well, it's not a complete data set. So are you cherry picking the data? And I can understand that argument. So if you're going to do it, you have to do it automatically. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to make more results available. We're still going to run it. And the slider is there for optimism and pessimism for the under and the over and for using the average or the min. Um, do I think there's value in the tool? Yes, there has to be. Uh, you know, when you have these bets and you multiply the back odds by 1.5, there has that can't just be that those bets are still bad multiplied by 1.5. It was the same with the combo bets at the beginning of then. It went, they went into such a bad run over lockdown. A lot of the bets were interrelated in the same match. You had 50 bets in the same match, and when it finishes nil-nil, they all lose. If you took all of the first... 2,000 bets and multiplied the back odds by 20, you were still losing. Does that mean that the strategy is wrong? How can it? How can the strategy be wrong when instead of we're getting evens, we're getting 40 to 1? You know, at, the, at some point, you have to turn around and say, it's the sample size. You know, if you take all the bets and multiply the back odds by 1,000 times, are you, are, is there any data set? Is there any odds available where that's a bad strategy? It can't be. You know, there's no the the bookmaker isn't taking ninety nine point nine nine percent juice on any market. So we've decided to stick with it. It's hard work. Uh, I hate it to hear people losing, and I'd rather it was just right. And so yeah, um, the, those are the changes that we're going to make. The changes are essentially just more hardcore results monitoring. And we finished the Bashcast this week on that note on something that's going through a losing run, but still something that I believe that we have confidence in is right and is profitable. Um, it was good of the guy to share the data set. Um, he was very mature about it. He was like, you know, no one forced me to do this. I, I, I suspect it's wrong, but I did it off my own back. He's still a member of Bucky Bashing. And, and so that level of inquisition, academia, maturity when looking at a data set especially when you're 60 grand down in the exchange is very admirable um so good on him okay it's time i think to break up now slide in to the christmas festive season i'm going to take a train down to worcester take the kids to the retro arcade and the pinball machine going to get a cheeky colombian coffee that doesn't actually mean cocaine either it literally means a uh a coffee at a cafe called Cafe Columbia. It's like this triple, um, triple espresso dropped into a coffee. I once had it, and I was 
are still unable to sleep three and a half months earlier, later. It was brilliant. Um, so I'm going to go down to Worcester for the rest of the day. And then tomorrow is the beginning of my Beef Wellington Christmas dinner that I'm cooking for the in-laws. Uh, pick up the fillet of beef. So that's going to be fun. Whatever it is that you're cooking for Christmas Day, leave the potatoes to boil for 15 minutes longer than you were going to plan to do. And then when you roast them, leave them to roast for 20 minutes longer than you thought when they were finished. Those are the two things that are going to make your roast potatoes the best roast potatoes on the entire planet. That time that you have for boiling them, you needed to add 15 minutes. Just add 15 minutes. Be very careful when you take them out because they might fall apart. You've got to take them out with a little scooper duper one by one. Okay, don't, don't use the pinchy thing or a fork. They'll fall apart because they're so soft. One by one, scooper duper onto kitchen paper. Get the moisture out. They'll harden up in the kitchen paper when they cool. And then you can roast them. You're going to roast them for 40 minutes, roast them for an hour. If you're going to roast them for an hour, roast them for an hour and 20. If you're going to roast them for 20 minutes, ro just roast them for four, 20 minutes longer than you thought that you had to, and they'll come out beautiful. I promise you. Merry Christmas. One more.